Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Ellie. How are you? Good. Welcome to Born to Love, everybody. I'm Ellie Kemper, and the voice you just heard is Scott Eckert. We are the hosts of Born to Love, where every week we have a guest on the show to talk about something that they love. I am especially excited because today's guest is my favorite author, Michael Lewis, and he's going to come in today to talk about his love of kids' sports. I'm so looking forward to this. I'm a huge fan of Michael Lewis, as are you. So you've claimed, you've told me so in confidence. <laughs> <laughs> but we are so excited to talk with him today. He's just a brilliant man, and that will be a great conversation. But before that, I wanted to talk to you about something that I, it's not that I learned I loved this week, but something that I had to remind myself that I just love. Oh, it's a, b- a blast from the past? Uh, well, kind of. And you may have noticed in my uh, rendition of the Born to Love, what do you call it? Not a mantra. That Diddy? The, the Diddy that diddy. you do? Jingle. <laughs> the jingle. The Born to Love jingle. <laughs> I may have been sort of invoking the style of the boss. You were channeling Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> yes. If you couldn't tell in my singing of the Born to Love jingle, yeah, I love Bruce Springsteen. So, okay, let me back you up here. I've always loved Bruce. Who doesn't? Well, are there some people who don't like Bruce Springsteen? He's sort of universally loved. Hard for me to imagine some Bruce Springsteen haters. I'm sure there are people out there who I think he's fine. But I think most of America definitely falls into the Born to Love Bruce Springsteen category. Yeah. Doesn't he sing a Born to... (laughs) Born to Run! Born to run. Born to run. He's the original. The inspiration for this very <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I want iHeart to break the bank and buy us the rights to Born to Run because that's all I want to listen to right now. I just want to blast it out of every speaker in this room, which there is one. But Scott, what I realized is, so I have been driving more than usual because I mentioned to you that I spent the summer in Pasadena where I needed a car. 
And I guess my husband must have played Bruce Springsteen's album, The Seeger Sessions, okay? And it's like this just riveting rendition of all these, I don't know how you classify them, great songs. <laughs> Wait, was Michael, your husband, was he playing these with the kids strapped to the back of his hog when he's like riding down the highway on a motorcycle? Yeah. Playing some Bruce? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Two kids on the back of his motorcycle just cruising up the 101. Baby, we were born to love. But anyway, (laughs) he played it for them. They really loved listening to Pay Me My Money Down. Great song that Bruce Springsteen was singing. So then we delved into some other of Bruce Springsteen's hits. Like we just mentioned, Born to Run, Glory Days, Death to My Hometown. Well, that sounds like a sad song, but it's actually a good song. Your young children were in to death of my hometown. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) (laughs) They just feel attracted to that nostalgic yearning, that that, that working working class. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My seven-year-old, my four-year-old. Oh, just take off the burden, lighten your load, and death to your hometown. (laughs) They were rocking out. But in any case, maybe I'm just a very straightforward person. But when I hear Bruce Springsteen's voice, I am inspired to do something great. And it could be holding the door open for someone as they're getting onto the subway. It could be- Wait, that counts as something great? Oh, yeah. Because I was on board with you. Being inspired by Bruce Springsteen, absolutely. That just means you got red blood running through your veins. But then (laughs) to capitalize on that inspiration by holding the door open for someone, a little bit of a letdown. (laughs) You did think I was going to go to outer space, right? I think that there's a comfortable middle ground between holding the door for someone and going to Mars. Well, see, I would argue quite the opposite, Scott, because Bruce Springsteen is all about the little things that actually can change the world. But there is something about him, and it's immediately recognizable to so many of us because most of us, I don't know when he started singing. I'm not an expert on him. I just know that I like his music. So when he starts playing... I start thinking I can do something great. And I was reminded, I hadn't listened to Bruce in a while. And again, I'm not like a diehard. I've never been to a Bruce Springsteen concert. I just really like his music and it motivates me to be my better self. And I I was reminded of that love this week as I was cruising around town, just blasting the boss. You know what I mean? It's a simple love. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, Ellie. It's also, he's an artist who seems to have some nuance to his work. Right? Correct. His, his, his work's got a lot of, born in the USA, awesome ballad about America. It's touched by some troublesome stuff. It's not just the rah-rah kind of song that people sometimes make it out for. Right. It's about the Vietnam War, guys. Yeah. And God, to, to be a, an artist who can kick so much ass, mm-hmm. but also be thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. Kudos to you, Bruce. Oh, it's no small feat. And I also, again, wanted to point out Scott's love of America. It's not an uncomplicated love. You know who loves America? Bruce Springsteen. You know who wants America to be better? Bruce Springsteen, guys. Yep. The Venn diagram for me and Bruce Springsteen is a single (laughs) circle. Maybe that's overstated. I don't really know much about Bruce's politics apart from the fact that he's a thoughtful dude. And he has awesome rips. What are they called? Riffs, baby. <laughs> rips? Oh, I called rips. Are they riffs? <laughs> I don't know. Beats? I think it's I think it's a guitar riff. R-I-F-F. Music! Scott Eckerd. <laughs> Born to love music. Those guitar rips. <laughs> <laughs> I 
also wanted to point out Born to Run came out in 1975. I mean, the longevity of this man's career is enviable. Also, <laughs> an enviable career. Nice little segue into our guest today, Sir Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis, definitely a boss. Ultimate boss. For those of you who don't know, Michael Lewis, critically acclaimed author and journalist. His work covers business, sports, academia, government. He wrote two of my all-time favorite books, Moneyball and The Big Short, both of which were adapted into blockbuster films. Together, those films earned 11 Academy Award nominations. His newest book, Going Infinite, The Rise and Fall of a New Tycoon, goes behind the scenes at cryptocurrency hedge fund FTX tells the story of its enigmatic founder and its spectacular collapse. Going infinite, Ellie. Do you know when it comes out? I'll give you one guess. Today? Today. It comes out today, guys. <laughs> or yesterday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. I guess yeah, the, the time gets complicated. It, it comes out on the day that this podcast is released, which means that definitionally you can buy it. I'm probably already reading it by the time this comes out. Scott has pre-ordered the book. We are so excited to talk with Michael Lewis. We just think he's like the smartest guy ever. And when we come back, we're going to talk to him about his love of kids sports. All right, everyone, we are back with a fantastic Man, that Scott and I are so excited to have on our show today. Michael Lewis, thank you for joining us on Born to Love. That's a total pleasure to be here, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're about to find out. <laughs> we'll find it. In 20 minutes, you can amend that statement. Michael, we are huge fans of everything you've written, the podcast you've hosted. We want to talk today about something that you love, kids' sports, specifically your kids' sports. So talk to us about why you love that so much, and how I can get my own kids to love sports. <laughs> so you're catching me on the back end of what's been basically an 18-year journey. Okay. It starts with my now 24-year-old as a six-year-old girl. And I played sports, but I didn't have any ambition for my children this way. And I think my wife, she needed to find a way to get me to be more, a more involved dad. <laughs> and she noticed there was this little softball field down the street where little girls were playing and there was yep. a league and she signed Quinn up and, and said, you ought to, you got to take her. So what you got to understand first is where I live. Cause it, this actually, I think has a huge effect on your relationship to your kids' sports. You're in New York, right? I'm in New York. Yeah. All right. So we're in Berkeley and the softball league in Berkeley was my gateway drug. The Softball League in Berkeley was created by a moral philosopher at Cal in the <laughs> 1990s. And he created it as a reaction to the madness of American kids' sports. He, like, he created a league where the score was kept, but no one was allowed to know the score or ask the score. You asked, like, why was the score kept? It was to make sure that no team won too much. Oh, my God. And it was sort of modeled on, I think, Scandinavian leagues. That sounds Scandinavian. The guy who created it, he said, the purpose of children's sports is the moral education of the parents. <laughs> I love that. It's to, like to teach the parents what their child's relationship is to the rest of the world and what oh their relationship gosh. is to their child. Yes. And so this was the beginning for me. Sorry, do you recall this gentleman's name offhand? I do. Just popped into my head. 
Harlan Stelmo. Thank you. Of course it popped into you. Okay. I would never. Okay. I mean, I could give you, I could monologue for what happened next for 20 minutes. I don't want to like ruin your podcast, but it was so joyous. The whole thing was so joyous and just fun. For both of you. For both. And I got roped into coaching right away. It wasn't like you imagined children's sports. It really was play. I'd start each practice with improv exercises. Like the kids have to make a shape of a donkey with their bodies on the field or mirroring exercises. You've probably done all this in your improv life. Scott and I are seasoned improvisers, so we're no strangers. We've made so many donkeys, Michael. <laughs> I know it's not about competing, but Ellie and I would win. We'd make a really beautiful donkey compared to those six-year-old softball players. <laughs> so sweet little Berkeley League where nobody's keeping the score. But nevertheless, you find when you're with parents for a while and their kids playing sports is even the ones who say they don't care whether their kids win, they care. <laughs> they care. <laughs> they care. Yes. And so if they're suppressing it, it comes out in some other way. Can you tell us honestly, did you care? Of course. Oh, okay. Okay. Great. Of course. And in fact, even though my practices were fun and I tried to hide my desire to win from the kids. Sure. I did get a little bit of a reputation as a coach who was winning too much. And <gasps> it's the worst thing you could do in the league. If you lost all the time, everybody loved you. Now, yeah, but what, how can you, you can't uh, orchestrate that. You no, I was writing, I was writing Moneyball. I was applying advanced statistics. How could I not win? Wait, what was this? You were writing Moneyball while coaching the team? <laughs> that I never, I, that's a little caveat. <laughs> were these the rumors that were being spread about you? Or was it true? Were you applying the advanced statistics to your daughter's teams? Right. Well, I'm getting a little ahead of my story. So what happens is, two daughters, Quinn and Dixie. Yes. That's three years apart. Flash forward to like four years. The league has this all-star team. The girls are picked out of the league. They try out. It's called the Sting Team. And I take both girls to the tryout. Dixie wasn't meant to try out. She was like only seven. She was too young. Yeah. But she was there. So I just kind of threw her into it. Yeah. And instantly became clear that, oh God, she's really good. And at the end of the tryout, the coaches came over and said, we want Dixie too. We want them both. At which point, the people who oversaw the league came to me and said, would you consider running the all-star teams? And if you ask my wife if there was a moment where we could have had a normal, happy dinner at home, weekends together, lifestyle, yep. or an absolutely mad, kids sports-centric life, that was the moment. She should have said, no, you're not allowed to do that. However, I said yes. And she said, fine. The whole thing was her idea to begin with. It was her idea in the beginning, but it was, but it was. But you took it to the next level. At this point, she's feeling like Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> the thing is, start, is starting to spin out of control. That's right. And so I took over this thing and we had these little girls who came from Berkeley and this Norwegian softball league who were taught not to keep score and not to care about whether they won. But once you went on the road, like once you went into the Central Valley of California, well, yeah. you were playing Republicans. <laughs> you were playing people who were raised to kill. And so these little girls in my charge, they were like these small, furry creatures who'd been raised on an island without predators. Right, that's exactly right. And then you put them in another environment and they got slaughtered. The game would be over in three innings. Everybody would have right. struck out. Mercy rule, 15 to nothing. So after right. a year of that, I said, no moss, we're going to fix this. This is where I started to get serious. So at that time, Berkeley had like the best softball team in the country, or very close. And so I basically went over to the women's softball practice 
and I threw this huge sack of cash on the field. And I said, I'll pay as many of you to come over and fix my problem, to turn these small furry creatures into killers. And it was fabulous. So a year later, we had best pitcher in the country and the best hitter in the country. And these names actually would be familiar. Jolene Henderson was a pitcher. Val Ariota, who's the captain of the Olympic team, best hitter in the world. They became our coaches. And this is where it got really funny because softball was its own thing. It's different from baseball. Almost all the other teams had dads and the dads were coaching baseball, basically. Right, and right, right, right. They had no idea about this other game. And the other coaches would treat them with this kind of condescension. Oh, yep. you're a nice woman. Right. But they were killers. And two years later, Dixie, yes. her team went 24 and one one summer and was ranked number one in the country in one of the polls. <laughs> we were just slaughtering people. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. We're wandering deep into my personal journey, but there were some broad things here that were so interesting. Mm -hmm. One was, once we started winning, our parents ceased to be liberals. Our parents became killers. (laughs) 
when we were all losing, the parents had this detached amusement about the whole thing. Right, 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 right. It was like, we're on the moral high ground. We're watching all the other parents behave badly. Yes. Yes, we lost 15 to nothing, but the opposing coach got thrown out for screaming at the umpire. Yes, yes. Once we were winning, we got thrown out. It was our parent (laughs) who was picking a fight with the umpire. And in all this, I found a combination of myself being swept up in the drama of it all, but also just the people watching is incredible. Uh Like what happens in kids' sports, it's so much more interesting than almost anything else. If you just watch the parents and watch the kids and watch the umpires, I've gotten big pieces of writing out of this stuff. Okay, I have to tell you, at the beginning of your story, I was enchanted. I thought, oh my gosh, these little enclaves do still exist where children are not told to keep score, where they're not sure if they won or lost, where the parents are not Scandinavian, but attempting to be Scandinavian (laughs) about the whole process. But it turns out, (laughs) no! It's just cover. It's just cover for the fact that when you were a kid, they stuck you in right field and didn't let you hit. And you don't want your child to be ruined that way. Right. And the minute you realize your child can compete, the gloves come off. What do you think that is? What do you think that is? Is that just human nature? Do you think that that is an inevitable conclusion to the journey of kids' sports? Is there a world where they do just play? As a mother of a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, I don't know what their sports journey is going to look like. I do feel like the intensity in youth sports is probably even greater than it was when your children were teenagers, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I'm still in it. My 16-year-old is well, that's still true. playing AAU basketball. But your first point, what's going on? Are there still some enclaves where it's sweet and fun and Scandinavian? So it still is in the local rec league. That Berkeley Girls Softball League is as sweet as it ever was. Okay. It's just when you leave <laughs> Berkeley bet. and have to compete against Republicans that things change. <laughs> but there is this relentless pressure, and it's reaching kids at a younger and younger age to either excel or drop it. Right. This is a thing that you're going to do that is going to help you get into college. Yeah. Or it's a waste of time. One wonders if your wife had been at the helm, do you think that the same transformation would would it have awakened this primal force in her that would have brought them to the... I mean, uh, it's not a gendered thing. I'm just... Well, the biggest killers in the story are the Olympian coaches that the dads weren't taking seriously, right? Correct. So, I mean, obviously, there's killers of both genders, Ellie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. In the softball world, (laughs) maybe you could see this most clearly. It was a girl's sport largely dominated by dad coaches. And it wasn't the female coaches who were getting thrown out by the umpires or screaming at the kids. Yeah. So I'm sure there were exceptions. Yeah. But as a rule, you saw this. I, I have a question for you, Michael. So so I think that there's certainly bad behavior, right? What, what is sort of fascinating to me is not just the bad behavior, but that instinct infects even the docile among us. When I go to my kids' sports, <laughs> I don't shout at the ref, but I do feel, in a way that shocks me, a, a <laughs> primal <laughs> desire. When I cheer for my favorite pro sports team, it's an intellectual connection. I mean, it's emotional, but like, I'm not a New York Yankee, right? But when I cheer for the Blue Lightnings, <laughs> that's my blood on the field. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Nobody pushes my kid around, right? Everybody feels the same thing. It's just a question of, do you have the ability to control it? By the way, I love the bad behavior. That's what you love! <laughs> Among the things that hooked me on this was first season, our eldest child played in, she was maybe eight. We are in Rohnert Park, California. It's eight o'clock at night. We're playing the home team. It's tie game. One of our runners comes around third, slides into home plate. It's a close play. The ump calls her safe. 
the coaches on the other team, the head coach, he looked a lot like Saddam Hussein. Well, he had the big Saddam Hussein mustache. And the other coaches, the, his like five assistant coaches, they didn't look like Saddam Hussein, but they'd all grown the mustache. So you had these six guys like there with these Saddam Hussein mustaches. And they come storming out of the dugout and he starts screaming profanities at the top of his lungs. And there, you know, 150 parents there, 75 good liberals from Berkeley, 75 more complicated political creatures from Roner Park. And the fans start screaming some at the ump for her call and some at the opposing team. And the little girls, their heads are on a swivel, like 150 grown-ups are on their feet screaming. When the noise got so loud, I thought, I can't believe this is happening. Piercing the night was <laughs> one of our mothers. You heard her scream, what horrible modeling for our children. And, and I thought, yeah, Berkeley's at the ballpark. We're worried about modeling for our children. We're not worried about whether the kid's yeah. safe. Oh, yeah, Saddam yeah. Hussein, he gets so upset and he says so many awful things. The umpire, who's a woman, throws him out. Yeah. He walks off the field. And from outside the field, he goes, I'm now taking off my hat as head coach. And I'm putting on my hat as director of the facility. And as director of the facility, you're fired. So he fires the umpire. <laughs> whereupon, oh. the umpire starts to cry. No. And this is my first year on the job kind of thing. Yeah. And she walks out. And I felt so bad. I followed her out and kind of gave her a hug. And I said, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to take that. You're the ref. And of course, I wanted to run. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she said, there's a number I can call. There was like a hotline for these situations, 911 for umps. So she called it and they said, no, he can't fire you. So she goes back. And oh. I don't even remember what happened in this game. But what I remember is thinking, it, right. like, where else do you get to witness such human behavior? Yeah. I remember many of our parents were saying that was a traumatic experience for the girls. Like they shouldn't have to experience that. And I thought, I'm so glad my daughter saw that. I love that she could see how badly grownups behave. Yes. Because usually she's seeing grownups with these masks. Or they're so inaccessible. She's not, seeing, yes. she's not seeing them behave the way they behave when they really care about something. And it's sort of like, don't be this way. And I, I wanted as much of that as we could get. Let me ask, after the event, would you break it down with them? Oh, like, yeah. So that was, okay. Oh, you yeah. would talk about the behavior. Oh, yeah. And I'd say, you know, okay. Saddam Hussein is not necessarily a bad guy. He just had a moment. <laughs> I've always said that. I've For years, Ellie. Saddam yes. Hussein, bad rap. <laughs> you know, people aren't who they are in their worst moments. That's it. They aren't who they are in their best moments. They're mean. You're watching a probability distribution. <laughs> and that was a tail event in statistical yes. language. And you, you should kind of feel privileged that you got to witness it. And I want to know, the children, they were all behaving themselves, right? Oh, yeah, they were fine. Kids, left to themselves, they just have fun. Well, they tend to, yeah, I think. Yeah. But did you ever witness any bad behavior in children? Mostly the parents are responsible for most of the bad behavior. And so when I'm thinking about what to what sports to enroll my own kids in, I think, well, I just want them to learn the value of discipline, of hard work, all of the things we think, oh, that's what they'll get out of sports. Obviously, your children love sports. So it was a net positive for everyone involved. I have been hoping to keep things at a moderate level. Well, the question is, is it possible? Right. Well, it, 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 right. It's, it's hard. They're either getting signals that they're not that good or they're getting signals that you have real potential. Throw your life into it. I know. And the perception of it is it's become very front end loaded. Early failure is permanent failure. Uh -huh. And parents feel this, mm -hmm. too. This is why they're so anxious. Oh, I'm out of my mind. It's like if they don't get into the right college. But I'm with you about what you can get out of sports. It isn't like you get into the college. It's amazing what you can learn playing things with people. Right. Well, I playing, hope so. Playing games with people. Yeah. And it is like learning how to try and learning how, what it feels like to lose. But I love is just the view of human nature. 
Scott, you have kids who are in sports right now as well. What sports? We do every different sport. So they've done basketball and baseball and soccer, all that stuff. But I did coach T-ball and I couldn't admire you more, Michael, because I was completely <laughs> overwhelmed by it. <laughs> was your killer instinct awakened, Scott, or were you just stressed out? My killer instinct was absolutely awakened. I was spending as much energy trying to contain myself as I was to coach the kids. And it was in spite of myself. Like if there was a coach that I didn't like and one of our kids made an out at first, a part of me died inside. <laughs> And not showing the disappointment to the kid, it's like, oh, man, you need a beer after that. But is it is that about seeing your child, quote unquote, fail? Because the only thing I've seen my kids like perform or compete in are like little kindergarten concerts. And I am high anxiety the whole time thinking, oh, no, what if they forget a lyric or something? So is it that same thing where it's mostly just afraid of seeing your kid fail or is it the competitive edge? Well, it depends on whether you're winning or losing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There is the high of watching your child run circles around other children. So there's right. that. Right. Which yours must do on stage. Well, well, you know. I, <laughs> I mean, really, how could they not? No comment. <laughs> At that age, up till about like 10, one of the things I just loved was the range of things that happened on a field. Mm -hmm. If your early experience of sports is like watching college players or professional players, mm -hmm. it's kind of a narrow band. Like everybody's <laughs> kind of competent. Everybody knows the rules. Everybody's got their emotions in some band. Seldom do the whole team start burst out crying. Like when our son was like nine years old, I'm coaching his little league baseball team. And we have just sweetest kid in the world. His name is Judah. And Judah's catching for the first time. So it's like Mars to him being behind home yeah. plate. And there's a big pop foul right above his head. And he's internalized an instruction that when you're a catcher and there's a pop fly over your head, you get rid of something. And what a catcher's supposed to do is throw the mask off so you can see the pop fly. All Judas remembered is that you're supposed to get rid of something. So he throws his glove <laughs> off and he's sitting there with his bare hands and his mask on. Oh, waiting for this ball to come down. And when I saw that, I thought, this is what I love about this. It's like, you never know what they're going to do. No. And there's a joy that at this age, the T-ball age, that's like the most fun. Yes. Because you just don't know. They'll cry. They'll do cartwheels yeah. in the outfield while the fly right. ball's going over their head. All that stuff is just great. Scott, I have a question for you. When you're coaching T-ball from that season. Oh, boy. When were you most ashamed oh, of your behavior? Scott. Like, If you had to go back and rewind the tape, is there any moment where you say, that's a moment where I would do something different? There is. And I share this just because it's funny. It's probably not what you expect. I can't wait. <laughs> the thing I most regret is that we were doing a catching drill where we just had two lines and they were throwing the ball back and forth. And they weren't very good at it, of course. <laughs> And I had an assistant coach, Coach Richard, and one of the kids just threw a ball that hit Coach Richard right in the face. And I was so irritated that I had to deal with Coach Richard, who, who was genuinely hurt. And I was like, okay, Richard, it's fine. Come on, guys, let's get back to it. So I completely, I completely ignored Coach Richard's pain. And for the whole rest of the season, he carried that pain with him. You were mad at Coach Richard. I was mad at Coach Richard for screwing up that catching drill. Yeah. <laughs> how about you, Michael? Maybe this is how we should end this segment. What is something that you regret from your time in kids' sports? So I always knew what the right thing to do was, but there were moments where I just couldn't control myself. And 
it was subtle, but my kids could pick up on it. So this is not one thing. It is a class of thing. And the class of thing is after the game, getting in the car, what you do when when the game has gone bad. Mm -hmm. Now, you've suffered. You're miserable because you watch your child have this horrible experience. They were miserable, but likely they're over it by the time they get in the car. But -hmm. they know from past experience that you're not. They're watching you to make sure that this is like no big deal. And what I should have done all the time, but I only did some of the time, is when you got in the car, have a subject to talk about. Right. That is completely natural, something fun that will establish that that didn't matter. So there Mm -hmm. were just like 20 times when I just didn't have the energy to figure out what the topic should be. Mm -hmm. And so we got in the car and there's kind of a silence. And Walker or Dixie or Quinn would look over and say, I know I suck. And I would say, no, 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 you were great. But at that point, they... It was too late. Too late. Yes. Like you just said, you're lacking the strength to do it in that moment. You're depleted. I might argue, maybe fine for your kids to see you in that moment, right? I mean, that's life. There's not always going to be a little diversion. And hopefully, you know, you're just winning championships left and right. So those moments are few and far between. Now, Scott, you're not always going to win. Shotgunning beers and spraying (laughs) champagne. Absolutely. (laughs) Michael, it's been a delight talking to you about kids' sports. Pure delight. Do you have a couple minutes to stick around with us? We have a game to play. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safty, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? 
Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, guys, we are here with Michael Lewis. We are playing our favorite game, our only game called Love It or Loathe It. So, Michael, we are going to fire some items your way, and we want you to tell us if you love that thing or you loathe that thing. There can be no in-between. It's a game of extremes. Okay? Yep. All right. So the first thing, Michael Lewis, love it or loathe it? Kiss, the band. Oh, love it. Yes. It's the first concert I went to. And it was the first real date. I took my first girlfriend. Oh, my God. That's so intense. How old were you? I was like 14. Yeah. A 14-year-old going on a date to a KISS concert. You're the coolest guy I've ever met, Michael Lewis. (laughs) It was New Orleans. 14-year-olds, they play like 20-year-olds. Yes. You start drinking when you're eight. So by the time you're 14, (laughs) by the time you're 14, it's sort of like. It's no big deal. No big deal. Did the date go well? We were together for another two years. Oh, my gosh. So, Started things yeah. off with a bang. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So were you a big Kiss fan growing up, or were they just, they happened to be in town? They happened to be in town. Yeah. It okay. didn't matter. It didn't matter what the no, band it was. It's the experience. Yeah. But what's so great is that we were sitting at the very top, and you yes. could still see Gene Simmons' tongue. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> the tongue would come out, and you could see it from a mile away. Well, that's the sign of a good show. Yeah. yeah. Speaking <laughs> of New Orleans, Michael, love it or loathe it, Mardi Gras. Oh, love it. Actually, this takes us back to kids' sport. So you put the kids up on ladders at Mardi Gras. I took them every year up to the age of 10 with a very specific purpose, hand-eye coordination. The stuff is in the air that you catch, and all of my kids could grab with their offhand the the tiniest object in the air because they had so many thrown at them over and over and over by Mardi Gras floats. The kids are up on ladders? Is that what you said? The kids sit up above the crowd on on these ladders with the parents behind them. And they get bombarded with beads and stuffed animals and the people on the floats. And it was excellent training for a future life in softball. Absolutely. And in addition, it was fun. So I'm I'm sorry. My my association with Mardi Gras, I've I've never been myself. I thought that the people who received the beads were like topless women. It's very funny you say that. So I, you know, I'm from New Orleans. And the way the parades work is they start G-rated and they end X-rated. So in the beginning of the parade, it's kids on ladders. And as you move downtown, it gets raunchier and raunchier. <laughs> Apropos of this, we actually had a moment. We made a mistake of setting up the ladder right where it was becoming R-rated. We went a little too yeah. far downtown. And Uh-oh. there were some Tulane female students <laughs> below them yep. who you couldn't really see what they were. I knew what they were doing, but the girls couldn't yeah. really see. And they were yeah. lifting their sweatshirts and showing their boobs. And yep. they were being bombarded by the... <laughs> And, 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 and my, my, my eldest child turned to me and said, Daddy, they know everyone. Oh. <laughs> that is, everybody loves them. Everybody loves oh, them. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's adorable. Yeah. Okay, Michael, love it or loathe it? Ikea. Loathe it. Yeah. So I just finished writing a book about FTX and Sam Bankman free Yes. It was seven months of really careful, hard work. It was a tricky book to pull off. Right when I finished, I went and visited eldest child, Quinn, in New York City, who's just moved into an apartment. And she had an Ikea desk that needed to be assembled. 
And she'd left it for me to do it. And I realized about four hours into this, after I'd messed up the instructions three different times, yeah. that if yep. you ask me, would I rather have to write the book over oh, again no. or yep. as assemble this desk, I would <laughs> rather write the book. Wow. It was more traumatic trying to assemble this desk than it was yeah. writing a 300-page book. And you think I'm joking? I'm not, I was drenched in sweat. I was cursing. Yep. I was like, yep. oh, I missed step three, which meant step nine was no longer a valid step. Yep, been there. Where was Quinn during it? Was she like at work? Was she laughing, taking pictures, watching you? Exactly what she was doing. Once she saw the sweat start to trickle down my face and the first oh, curse she word, she started video. Yeah, she was really, oh. <laughs> she was really having a good time. That's the best way to thank your dad for helping with the desk. <laughs> By the way, did the desk get finished or not? It got finished, but somehow it wasn't level. It was sort of tilt. It was on a tilt when I was done. Uh, I don't know how you're laughing about that. That I would be, that would, I, it's infuriating after all of that. I'd rather write another book. <laughs> well, we hope you do. Love it or loathe it, Michael. The pitch clock. Oh. Love the pitch clock. I thought baseball was dead. Someone asked me a few years ago, what would you do to fix the game, to bring it in line with modern life? And I said, put a live lion on the field. Not like a zoo lion, but one of the lions from the savannah that's really hungry. And like it's out there roaming and could attack anybody at any time. Then you get people pitching faster. You get people yep. moving, stealing bases yep. again. Baseball's already kind of a sedentary sport. It's the only sport where people get fatter while they play it. And you, you got to find ways to get people moving faster. Yeah. And the pitch clock yeah. just does that. Good. The pitch clock is your lion. Yes. I love that. I mean, I think it's pretty <laughs> funny that your solution was a lion and then they accomplished at least a good deal of the same thing, but just by adding a timer. <laughs> I think a lion I, 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 I think I think a lion would still I am not against lion. I'd like to see it one. They I mean, should do that as an like all-star game. Everybody event. would have a little skip to their step. <laughs> okay, love it or loathe it. Pie. I love pie. Prefer it to cake. I instantly love it because most of the other options I regard as inferior. Like what? Oh, cake or even cookies, I, as much as I yeah, like I cookies. Agree. I think that there's something about having the combination of the wet and the dry. Yep. Where people go wrong with pie is trying to make it a little too healthy. Oh, don't. It's sort of like thinking they're getting fruit or whatever. Right. But oh, no, yeah. you, no. once you just acknowledge it's a dessert and you go full on. I completely agree. Yeah. You want a wet fruit with the flaky crust. That combination is delightful. And then also see the problem with cake or this is your love it or loathe it, not mine, but cake or a cookie. It's the same thing over and over again. So I'm with you yet again. Is it my love it or loathe it? Because you just well, seem to be expressing a lot of opinions it here. It seemed to turn into my love it or loathe it. And by the way, I didn't even come up with pie, yeah. but it turns out I have very Go strong ahead. feelings on the subject. I've never made a pie. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I was just trying to take it to the limit. I love pie. <laughs> Last one, Michael. Love it or loathe it, treadmill desks. Love it. I have one. However, I can't actually write anything there. But I can use it for paying bills, all that yep. kind of stuff. And I've become a step obsessive. Oh, you are? Like, so is my husband. I, mm. yeah, well, I just, once you start measuring stuff, it starts controlling your no, life. you can't but, stop. But it, How many steps do you do a day? Try to do 13,000. But That's a lot. But yeah, that's what I, but, yeah. yeah. When I'm writing a book, it's, so hard. But the tread desk, yeah. I love having the option of picking up some steps yep. while I'm doing some mundane, normal desk-related task. When you say you can't write while you're doing it, is it because of the mental concentration it requires or because it's like, whoa, like it's too wobbly? I'd be in my own world. I become so oblivious of my surroundings. Yeah. I lose track of time. I couldn't remember to keep my feet moving. Oh, so gosh. It, it so it's just hazardous. Be, it would be hazardous. Yeah, it just wouldn't work. 
But yeah, right, but right. I think TreadDesk is a great step it's forward great. for mankind. I yeah. think everybody yeah. needs to move more. Everybody, including baseball players, not especially the baseball players. Especially baseball players and pie lovers need to hop on that treadmill desk. Michael, your newest book, Going Infinite, comes out today. I am thrilled to read it. I pre-ordered it. Ellie is thrilled to read it. What, What do you want to tell our listeners about it? It's one of the most curious stories I've ever stumbled into. It's about Sam Bankman Fried and FTX, which is the great crypto sensation that then collapsed. And It was such a curious story for me because of the way I wandered into it. In September of 2021, a friend called me and said, I'm about to do this business deal. It was swapping shares in his company for shares in Sam Bankman Fried's company. And he said, the problem I have is I don't have a a read on who this guy is. He's arrived on the scene so quickly, no one has any idea who he is. Could you just sit down with him? and let me know if this is a person I should do business with. So Sam Beckman-Free came over to my house and I took him for a hike in the Berkeley Hills. And an hour into the hike, I thought, oh my God, this is one of the greatest characters I've ever met. I just wanna see what happens. And I asked him, can I just go along for whatever ride this is? And so I went along for the ride, the up and the down. And I also called my friend and said, sure, swap shares, what what could go wrong? (laughs) But I got to ride shotgun watching the whole thing. And it's given me a privileged view of one of the great stories of our age. And well, I hope you agree when you read it, but I think that if a novelist had invented Sam Bankman Freed, they'd win a Nobel Prize. You know, it's just like the character's so interesting, you, you could wow. only draw it from reality. You couldn't paint this yeah. portrait out of your imagination. So yeah. it was a total joy of a book to write. And it was so odd because of the way I kind of walked into a bigger story than I thought I was walking into. For listeners who might not be familiar, the way the story ends is he goes to jail. Is that is that right? No, he goes to trial. I guess he's in jail right now, awaiting trial. <laughs> but his trial starts early October, and we don't know how the story ends yet. I cannot wait. Are you now on the hook for hundreds of millions of dollars for your friend? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, your friend you know, it's funny. annoyed. It's funny. That has not come up. Uh, what? That, But but he is aware that I think he's aware that if he's looking for character judgments, that maybe he should look elsewhere. Because I just got so interested in the character, I forgot the implications for him. You should follow up with him, see how he's doing. (laughs) Michael, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We cannot wait to read your book. Again, it comes out today. Thank you for being on our show, Michael. Total pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Born to Love. We'll be back next week with brand new things that we love. We want to hear from you. Leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and tell us what you love. We might even ask one of our guests in an upcoming Love It or Loathe It. Born to Love is hosted and created by Ellie Kemper and Scott Eckert. Our executive producer is Aaron Kaufman. Our producers are Sheena Ozaki and Zoe Denkla. Born to Love is part of Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network in collaboration with iHeart Podcasts. Special thanks to Han Sani, Rachel Kaplan and Adriana Cassiano, Michael Fails, Alex Coral, and Bahid Frazier. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.